2: Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Well, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. After all of the lead-up and submission reminders, we've selected the winner of our first-ever Flash Fiction Contest. We had over 50 entries and some amazingly well-crafted tales. And while associate editors Meredith and Julia had a great time reading through them, Picking just one to be our winner, well, it was a challenge. So while just one author takes home the crown and the prize, we've selected three runners-up we're certain you'll love, too. Our grand prize winner is a story called simply Plague by author Nicola Capron of Nanaimo, British Columbia. Congratulations, Nicola, and thanks for submitting your fantastic tale. We'll be producing Nicola's story for an upcoming episode, and I'm sure you'll love it as much as we did. Joining Nicola on that episode will be three runners-up. Erica Rupert's story, The Wind, the Sand, John Waite's exhibit label, and Frauke Uhlenbruch's skin suits. Congratulations to each of you. It'll take a little time to get the stories narrated and put together, but keep an ear out for our special Plague Flash Fiction episode in the coming months. And again, thank you so much to everyone who entered. Speaking of special thanks, a huge shout-out this week to patrons Alexei Gladilovich and Karen Bernosa, as well as to three of our newest patrons, Bryony Copnell, Amanda Bowen, and Noga Briannes for fueling our nightmares with your generous support. We truly couldn't do this without you. As for me and my water situation that I mentioned last week, well, the swamp in my basement has receded and things are starting to dry out, but the chaos of boxes, furniture, and drying equipment have turned my office into a damp labyrinth. So, while I was hoping to hit the road again this week, I hope you won't be too disappointed if we sit one more out. The good news, though, is that we have plenty of fearsome fiction for you this evening to tide you over. Let's get to it, shall we? Our first story for the evening comes from Mark Towes. After a 30-year hiatus, Mark recently gave up a lucrative career in sales to pursue his dream of being a writer. His passion and belief have resulted in pieces in many prestigious magazines, including Suspense Magazine, Flash Fiction Magazine, Pair Abnormal, Raconteur, Books and Pieces, The Horror Zine, Antipodean SF, 2228, Montreal Rights, and many more. His work has also appeared three times on the No Sleep podcast and other productions such as The Grey Rooms and Right Here at Tales to Terrify. Fourteen anthologies to date include his work, with a further eight anthologies set for imminent release. His first collection, Face the Music, was recently published by All Things That Matter Press. Mark resides in Melbourne, Australia, with his wife and two children. Children of the Night, join me for Mark Tows's Cozy Street, a Tales to Terrify original.
3: There is so much crap in the mailbox. We really should get one of those no-junk mail stickers, but I'm not too sure how it would go down with Fiona. I do love it around here. It's so friendly. Everyone carries a smile and has time for a chat. Apart from the grumpy old lady Marge at number 16 who just needs to hurry up and die. Usually I struggle to settle. Get itchy feet. But this place really is starting to feel like home. Number 6, Cozy Street. Yes, we are happy here, Fee and I. Bending down, I begin to rip a few weeds from between the cracks of the path, and my back sings out in a delayed but angry protest. I'll have to get some spray from the shop tomorrow. The bloody things grow back too damn quickly. The weatherboard down the side of the house is looking worse for wear, too. As for the windows, they are so filthy you can hardly even see the faded neighborhood watch sticker on the inside. I'll try to get around to them today. I move the kids' bikes from the side of the house to the back. No point leaving them on show. It's almost as if they want someone to steal them. Fee gets sick of telling them the same thing. Fortunately, we don't have much trouble here, but you can't be too careful. Jeff from two doors down is home from work early. He's watering the plants and gracing the neighborhood with an awful Dean Martin rendition. He should pay as much attention to his marriage, and then perhaps his wife Judith wouldn't be knocking at number 32 every time he leaves for work. Nice guy, though. Sometimes we chat for ages. I couldn't tell you about what. The patio door reflects my sallow face, and I instinctively feel even more tired than before. My back is getting worse, but all the tablets seem to do is make me drowsy. I took twice the dose a couple of hours ago, but I can still feel the niggle, ready to strike and do its worst. As I slide the door open, I'm confronted by carnage. Clothes and toys everywhere breakfast dishes from this morning overturned in front of the television, and the faint but rancid odor of cat piss. I hate cats, especially ours. It's me that changes the litter, though. I guess that might explain it. I can't blame Fee for any of it. She needs to drop Jack and Anna before school care and then negotiate her way through heavy peak traffic. She's always complaining about how bad it is, the number of assholes on the road. I feel bad that she's the one left to do it. God knows what time it was when she woke me this morning, but it was well before the sun started to do its bit. I reach for a carton of milk and pour some into a glass that's been left out. It still has Fee's lipstick on the side. There is only a drag of powder left in the chocolate malt tin, so I pour it in and stir, making a mental note to add it to the shopping list. The nasty smell is beginning to subside as I climb the stairs, replaced with the familiar scent of one of Fee's perfumes. Even though I'm exhausted, it still arouses me. Not so much in a sexual way, but just that in the way the perfume is cleverly formulated to induce mystery and appeal. It's not my favorite by any means. That one is in the pyramid shaped bottle and reserved for special occasions. Tonight, for instance. Christ, I look like shit. I throw some water on my face and pat myself down with a brown hand towel. The electric toothbrush takes away the mysterious coating that has developed on my teeth and tongue, and I finish with a swig of mouthwash. Wrestling with my sweater as I step back into the bedroom, I try not to make any sudden movements, but keep my eyes shut tightly in preparation for pain. Thankfully, it's just a mild twinge. I unbuckle my belt and turn back the sheets, face screwed up with anticipation as I gently lower myself into the unmade bed. Relief kicks in when I let the mattress take my weight and as I sink into the still-warm sheets, the familiar cocktail of perfume and fabric conditioner providing further comfort. A glance at my watch tells me it's 10.30 a.m. I'll just rest my eyes for a couple of hours, and then I'll do my jobs. I'm sure the crack in the ceiling is getting bigger. Can't be 100%, though. Since taking the extra dose of painkillers, my vision has started to get a bit hazy. Now, as I lie here, motionless, I'm starting to feel quite lightheaded. The room is starting to wash over me in a series of waves, and that crack? It's coming for me. Getting closer. What the? The front door. That was the front door. Shit. What time is it? I throw my legs out of bed and grab my clothes from the floor. 5.15 p.m. Fuck. Fees home! I didn't even get a chance to tidy up. My heart thumping, and with a lurching feeling in my stomach, I make the bed and frantically pat the sheets down. I catch sight of myself in the mirrored doors of the wardrobe and suddenly feel pathetic. But no relationship is without its ups and downs. Fumbling with my pants, I hear the kids chasing each other through the house, no doubt on the way to the snack cupboard, and then to fire up the games console. "'Slow down!' Fee shouts. "'It's the same every night. "'She sounds so tired, though, "'and she'll have seen the mess downstairs. "'Damn! She's coming up. "'Normally she pours herself a glass of wine. "'The babysitter is coming at six. "'I want you ready for bed by then. "'Bedtime is 7.30. "'I want to offer my help, "'but instead quietly slide the door open.' and crouch behind the veil of dresses. I'm scared. I hold my breath. There are random prickles over my body as I hear the hallway floor creak. Did she hear me? This will ruin everything! But there are no signs of distress or fleeing footsteps. And I afford myself a big sigh of relief. The feel of her soft nightgown against my cheek begins to calm me further. Together again. Hey. Yeah, I'm fine. Just tired. No, of course, I can't wait. Seven? Yep. Aw, you're so sweet. See you soon. Bye. Tom, the prick. Fee's voice usually makes me feel special, but when she's talking to him, it makes my spine shudder. We were fine before he came along. I guess he won't stick around, though. They never do. Can't handle it. The children. I'm different, though. Loyal. Love the kids just like they were my own. Sometimes we play rock, paper, scissors if I catch them before or after school, which I normally do as I know the pattern. Often, on an afternoon or early morning, I hide behind the row of trees in the back garden and watch my family play together. It gives me such a warm feeling. I've stayed with others, but never really felt the same sense of belonging as I do here with Fee and her children. The soft sound of her gray skirt landing on the carpet makes me feel uneasy and awkward. However, at the same time, I can't help but crane my neck to look through the gap. She unbuttons her shirt, throwing it on the bed and I nervously watch as she reaches behind to unclip her bra. I love her. Mother says I fall in love too easily, that I'm too trusting with people. She also says that if I can't even keep my room tidy at 35 years of age, there's little hope of being able to look after anyone else. I think Fiona loves me, though. Sometimes I'm sure I can see it in her face when I pass her in the street the nervous glimmer in her eyes and slightly flushed cheeks. If I put the effort in and stick around, hopefully she will begin to appreciate me and see me for what I am. When I hear the shower turn on, I shift position. Bloody back is killing me. I peer through the gap to make sure she's gone and carefully raise myself, quietly sliding open the door. She's singing now. She sounds happy. But Tom isn't the one. Tiptoeing across the carpet, I reach towards her skirt and remove the underwear, placing it in the pocket of my joggers. I know what you're thinking, just a typical pervert. But it's genuinely not like that. You must understand that I love this woman. For me, this is a relationship so nothing is sacred. Besides, she won't miss them. She is always too busy to notice, just as she never notices the clean cat litter or the tidy garden or the items in her kitchen that I often replenish. They never do. But as I said, this is different. I knew that I loved her as soon as I saw her, and watching them all together from behind the line of conifers, only made the feeling stronger. She should lock the patio door. Over-complacency in a neighborhood that is never actually around to watch. Ironically, the first leaflet I delivered here was advertising security systems, video surveillance, burglar alarms, etc. I remember it well, as it was the first time that I met the kids. I knew it was the place for me got me a regular around here. The rest is history. There are other day creatures like me, watching, waiting, interacting, and some are not as nice. Some of us deliver pamphlets or newspapers, and others operate under the guise of door-to-door sales or collecting for made-up charities when you close that door behind you, shaking your head or cussing and throwing the crumpled leaflet in the bin, don't always assume the relationship is over. I am jealous of Tom, but it will be me that will climb in bed with her tonight, nestling into her warmth, the softness of her hair against my cheek. One day, Perhaps I'll be able to stay there too instead of silently slinking back into that tiny closet.
2: That was Mark Towses' Cozy Street, as read by Scott Fulps. Scott Fulps is a narrator and voiceover artist. When not disturbing your dreams with tales of horror, Scott can be found in Washington, D.C., where he works as a restaurateur. He currently resides in that most haunted of commonwealths, Virginia. Thank you, Scott.
0: Selling a little or a lot? Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. shopify.com work. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC.
2: Cat Devitt's short stories have appeared in Books and Pieces magazine, TWJ magazine, Suspense magazine, and other venues, with work forthcoming in Corvid Queen, The Weird and Whatnot, and Periwinkle Literary magazine. Cat is a Pushcart Prize nominee, Best of the Net nominee, and placed as a runner-up in OPQ Press's 2019 Spooky Samhain Contest. She also acts as the fiction editor for Bold Plus Italic. Listen with me, children of the night, to Kat Devitt's The Scent of Lavender. First published in Oklahoma Pagan Quarterly, October 2019.
1: she came to me through the scent of lavender curling about my nose like smoke "honora" i asked "my sweet is that you" my eyelids cracked open as my head pounded from a night fueled by alcohol and opium i remembered nothing except for stumbling out of a pub and going after after something "thomas" she whispered her voice hollow and distant I groped the empty bed space beside me. I come back under the sheets. It's cold where I am. Mm, then let me warm you. I was never here. I yawned as I scratched at my belly. What game is this, darling? I lifted my gaze to search the room, but I didn't need to look far. Honora watched me from the foot of the bed, her eyes vacant, listless. She batted no eyelashes and took no breath. Her hands remained still at her sides and her raven hair tangled around her face. I'm so cold, Thomas. I saw through her pale body like gauze, but my hands still remembered her flesh, her curves, her downy hair. My body wanted her, even now. What What's happened to you? I asked. She gave no answer as she drifted closer, through the bed, where a glimmer of moonlight slashed through a slit in the curtains. We'd warmed this bed so many times with our love-making, with our nestling and cuddling. Now she stood in its centre without heat to provide, without love to give. I swallowed the fear lodged in my throat. This cannot be more than a dream. It's a nightmare, she whispered. One from which you will never wake. Honora's hand whisked through my cheek in a ghostly caress. I trembled as I stared up into her empty gaze. Her eyes were black as coal, without pupils, reflecting light like the moon above. My love, I reached for her, but my fingers found nothing as they sailed through the air. I still feel his hands. She touched her throat, her fingers a grey blur. Black bruises coiled around her neck like serpents strangling her for an eternity. Whose hands? Honora started to fade into the moonlight, silver strands unravelling from the tapestry of her soul. Now I'll always feel him. I shot up as I reached for her. Give me a name, Honora. I tried to grab her, but it was like capturing mist. A name! I need a name! He found me in Covent Garden. Why there? I was being a naughty cow. Honora flashed a cheeky grin. It was a glimpse of her earthly self before she disappeared altogether. Honora, I muttered. I curled up under the blanket and sobbed myself back to sleep. Was she dead or had I imagined her? Was this a hallucination from the opium? But it was impossible. The stuff had worn off hours ago. I stumbled down London's cobblestone streets, my head still throbbing from the prior night. I'd had too much to drink. I'd smoked too much at the Blue Dragon. My mind hadn't been altogether there when I'd imagined Honor. My mind hadn't been altogether there when I'd imagined Honora's ghost. But a small part of me doubted these hopes. She'd seemed so real, so cold, so distant, as if she truly was gone. She came to me in virgins white without a feather spend the night. I caught the final trickling of a bawdy song as I passed by a tavern. Above the doorway hung a sign with a lion licking a bleeding paw and scrolled in red lettering the bleeding lion. Men staggered out of the tavern, muttering the same tune as they grasped onto the scraps of last night's amusements before returning to their lonely wives and children. Her breasts I saw, her canny I tasted, and in her thwall I found my love wasted. I walked behind a pair, one drunk, one sober. The drunkard had his arm tossed over the sober's shoulder, his steps slow and dragging as he carried on with the tune. Her white she turned into a grey, when I did learn with whom she lay. With John, with Bruck, with Patrick, with Lawrence, with any ruck to hand her a sixpence. "'Will you be quiet for one minute, Samuel?' the sober groaned out. "'But it's a lovely morning for singing, Ezra,' Samuel hiccuped. "'I passed Scotland Yard on my way to fetch you, brother,' he shivered. "'It's a dangerous morning.' "'Ah, someone's always dying.' Samuel's head rolled back, his greasy blonde hair hanging from his pasty head. Oh, she came to me in virgin's white, without a feather's behind the night. Scotland Yard? I asked. Ezra stopped, pivoting himself and his brother on a rough angle. His eyes narrowed as he gave me a look over. You! Samuel snapped to attention on a hiccup. You devil! Ah, hush up, Samuel. Ezra shook his head. He doesn't take kindly to strangers after a night of drinking. I worried my hands. I'm sorry. Did I hear you say Scotland Yard? Yes, investigating a murder from the looks of it. All my hopes dissolved. Excuse me, I must be on my way. I started down the street. Are you all right, sir? Ezra called. I ignored him as I pushed and shoved through the street. His calls faded into the distance but one word drifted over the cobblestones and wormed into my ears. Devil! I didn't look back. A crowd had gathered in front of Drury Lane Theatre. Scotland Yard patrolled the area as fog clung to the theatre's whitewashed walls coiling around the pillars of the portico. It looked more like a mausoleum in the morning shadows rather than a house of entertainment and pleasure and escape for the droves. Excuse me. I murmured as I shoved through the crowd. Excuse me, pardon me, must come through. My gaze slid across the scene as I settled in the front, pausing on a body crumpled beside a column. Her dress was torn to tatters, her hand stretched out, as if reaching for a saviour. My veins stopped flowing. Strangely, those slender fingers pointed in my direction. I found myself stretching a hand out, as if in death I might grasp my sweet for only she had fingers so perfect. Move along! One of the men of Scotland Yard wielded his wooden cudgel, ready to strike at the crown. Go on, move! I didn't listen to him. I studied the tangled ebony hair hiding her face, her fading yellow dress, one my honourer once wore, and flowers scattered all around, daisies, roses and lavender. There was no doubt in my mind it was her. ''Move!'' the man shouted in my face. This time I listened to him as I removed myself from the curious eyes, seeking a glimpse of London's latest murder. I stopped in front of a bakery, its sugary scent tickling my nose, as I fell back against a brick wall, my heart pounding a tribal rhythm in my chest. I wanted to scream her name over and over again. But I said nothing. It wasn't a dream. My mind hadn't been addled by the opium fumes I so loved to inhale. She visited me last night. Psst, you there? A woman's voice. I rubbed my eyes. Hello? Over here. I glanced to my right, down Catherine Street. I saw nothing remained of the crowd except Scotland Yard performing its investigation. Not that way, (sighs) a sigh. To your left. My gaze followed the voice to the slender, shadowy figure of a woman. She stood on the edge of an alleyway, her emerald green skirts muddied at the hem. Yes, you, come here. She glanced over her shoulder. Come here, Thomas. How do you know my name? She gave me a look filled with meaning. Honorer. Her skirts rustled behind her as she disappeared into the alley. Wait, I called. I tailed after her, skidding on the muddy cobblestones. I came close to falling as I turned the brick building's corner, when a set of feminine hands lashed out to grab me by my lapels. She dragged me into the alley, stopping me from landing on the fat of my derriere. Don't talk! She slammed me up against the wall, her hand over my mouth. What is the meaning of this? I muttered through the cracks of her fingers. Shh! She glanced over her shoulder, watching the opening of the alley for a good minute. After she was satisfied, she turned her blue-eyed gaze onto me. You don't know, we might be listening. She removed her hand, pressing a finger to her lips. Her signal read, Quiet. Who are you? I asked. She blew a chocolate strand of hair from her face, her dark, gypsy eyes alight with anticipation. Her lips crooked into a smile, her ruddy rouge emphasising her sharp cheekbones. She might have been pretty, if not for all the paint. A friend of us. I took a deep breath. Like whiskey to calm the nerves. She had many friends. She eyed me up and down, her tongue running over her bottom lip. Her hand wandered over my rumpled coat, my unkempt shirt, and down lower to my breeches. Oh whoa, I shoved her hand away. Don't touch me there. Now it's not a mystery why Honora fancied you, she winked. Fine grey eyes, muscles under that fussy pleated shirt. And a big cock that's quite enough, I shouted as I pushed her off me. Come now, sweeting, her tone dropped to a siren's call. Don't be such a prude. Who in God's name are you? She paused. Cora Andrews. Anger inched from my toes to my temples. You filthy whore! I pushed her hands away from me. What are you doing sniffing around here? I suppose Honora told you about me. You led her astray into her distasteful lifestyle. You mean whoring? Selling our favours at night? I uncurled my fingers, not realising I'd fisted my hands. She quit that behaviour little after she met me. She cut ties with you. She still lives in my lodgings. Cora might as well have thrown cold water on me. What? Thomas, she never stopped? No, she told me she was selling flowers to support herself. You never proposed marriage to her, and being a flower girl wasn't enough to afford a roof over her head and food in her belly. You're a deuced evil witch to make me think she lied to me for the last year. Cora shrugged. It's the truth, though. You never made her a wife, nor offered to support her. What else was she to do? You're calling my honour a whore? Prostitute? Doxy? Ladybird? Light skirt, Lady of the night? Whatever you wish to call a woman who takes many men between her legs. I gnashed my teeth as if I might grind them to powder. My vision blurred, seeing nothing but hatred for this Cora Andrews. I was waiting for the right moment to tell my father I'd found a bride, but without revealing Honora's history. He'd never have accepted a doxy into the family. He'd cut me off if I tried. She sneered. Ah, yes, waiting for the Viscount's approval. Hmm? Honora told me how hard you tried. I lashed out and grabbed her wrist. Don't judge me, you little gutter snipe. Honor, I said you had a temper. A fine pulse beat at the base of her neck, blood flowing beneath that flesh like a pump. She was scared. When was the last time you saw her? Yesterday afternoon. My hand loosened a little as I remembered the afternoon dwindling on Catherine Street. She had stood by Drury Lane Theatre, twirling lavender between her fingers. She batted my shoulder with it petals scattered across the cobblestones she offered it to me for a shilling but I didn't have the coin to pay her I tried coaxing her to come to my lodgings but she refused claiming she was tired and needed to return home you won't let me sleep if I go with you so I kissed her goodbye and left her there as dusk thinned into night I loved her so much I turned to dash a tear away I should have taken her to my home I should have never let her go. Cora placed a hand on my shoulder. Honour often frequented the Bleeding Lion to find her customers. I think she met her murderer there. I sniffled as I looked into her rich brown eyes. Why are you sharing this with me? We can try to figure out what happened to her by retracing her final hours. For what cause? Finding her killer? Cora took my gaping pause as encouragement. You'll discover the truth of her if you learn why she was murdered. As for Scotland Yard to oversee, once another murder or crime happens, they'll forget about her. They don't care for prostitutes. Well, why don't you find her killer? You're clearly more privy to her life than I ever was. I seem to suit his needs. Prostitute, she said, flicking out a finger, and female, she held up two fingers. Two reasons why she wouldn't investigate Honora's murder on her own. Well, how do you know it wasn't a woman? Because men are the beasts of the streets. That's not a fair assumption. It is when you've endured our way of living. Cora unrolled a sleeve, revealing a jagged scar slashing its way under her lace. This one cut me when I refused him service. He wouldn't pay me enough. She pulled down the neck of her dress, along her shoulder, a bruised lash. This one whipped me with a crop and I wouldn't play submissive. I hate being tied up. She turned around and lifted up her long cascades of hair. And this is why I hate it so. A deep puckered scar. From what I couldn't imagine. Rope, Cora offered, as if she heard my thoughts. This scar's from when I was fresh, still new to the trade. A gentleman offered me two guineas if I allowed him to tie me up. He promised he'd be gentle. Cora faced me again, her crimson lips trained into a smile. If she'd any pain from the memories, she didn't betray herself not underneath all those layers of bark, grown as a shield around any softness left to her. I'm a woman, Cora said, and a prostitute at that. I can only do so much, but as for you, you can hunt down a murderer. You can access places I couldn't dream of entering, and you can talk to people, mainly men, who would only rub two shillings together and ask me for a fucking. I can't go sniffing around, I might get hurt too. Cora bristled at that, as if she a woman who'd endured pain and brutality to support herself, had more iron in her spine. I hated her for it, for thinking she was my better in any way. You'll look for a killer if you ever cared about her. Her gaze trailed down to my breeches. What she saw in you, I don't know. Not even your big cock could be so redeeming. I took care of her. The right corner of her mouth kicked up. In what way? I said nothing. She often went to the bleeding line with me when we were looking for customers. We did last night, but parted ways when I left with the gent. She stayed a while longer, but with no man in particular from what I noticed. Without a glance, Cora left the alley. I stood there, lost, without purpose or resolve, when a whiff of lavender tickled my nose. I jerked to attention and looked around, finding only shadows playing against the alley's walls. It was then that I took Cora's purpose and made it my own. I shoved open the door to the bleeding lion. Whiskey, gin and sweat scented the room. Two men sat in a corner in a drunken stupor, their heads tilted back, snoring as they slept away their headaches. A barkeep stood behind a counter, wiping down the grimy wood with a rough cloth. Could any of them be honorer's killer? Excuse me, I crossed over to the only sober spirit in the tavern, the barkeep behind the counter. Excuse me, sir. The barkeep shot a glare in my direction as I scuffled over. I ain't a sir. Might I ask you a few questions? He slapped the cloth onto the counter. We're closed. I won't be long. You're already three minutes overstayed. He turned his back to me, his gaze perusing the liquors lining the shelves behind the bar. I watched as his index finger brushed against the glass, passing from bourbon to ale to whiskey. I shook a little at this blunt disregard wasn't made for this questioning business, like the detectives from Scotland Yard. I couldn't go around sniffing, asking questions, even if Cora believed I could access places close to her. No one respected me. But then she entered my mind. Honora smiling up at me with those glimmering, chocolate eyes of hers, her raven hair splayed out on my feather pillows, her fingertips brushing against my cheek, her mouth questing for mine. Tears heated my eyes, "'Listen to me! Now I told you to—' "'My fist pounded down onto the counter. "'Listen to me!' "'The barkeep whirled around, a knife in his hands. "'He was ready to pounce over the counter "'and take that blade to my throat. "'But he didn't frighten me. "'Nothing frightened me. "'I already saw death once this morning. "'Leave before I cut your bollocks off!' "'He snarled, priming for a fight, "'as if he'd warded off many angry and sudden customers "'in his time tending this tavern. "'My lover is dead!' And so's is. he pointed the blade towards the burly of the two drunks in the corner. Dead for three years from a house fire, what makes ye special? I wiped away the tears coming down my cheeks. Mine was found dead this morning. He lowered his knife a little. What happened to her? She was the one found by Drury Lane Theatre. Bloody hell, he muttered, hiding his blade up his sleeve. Murdered? I sunk onto a stool. Yes. For the first time, I sobbed for her, closed up in the shadows of a dingy tavern where she'd probably sat on many a drunkard's knee, whispering in his ear all the pretty things she'd love to do to him, for a shilling or two. The barkeep turned around. What you drink? A whiskey. Jameson. Liquor splashed into a glass. My name's Josiah. Thomas. Josiah placed the glass in front of me, and without a drop spilt, He had been serving patrons for years, from what I could tell. He might have served me a time or two, if I could even remember those nights. What questions would you like to ask me? Josiah asked. I stared up into his harsh face, hammered out by years of dealing with unruly blackguards and drunken fools. He had a scar above his right eye. His nose was a little crooked, as if healed up improperly from a brawl. Her name was Honora. She was a... a whore often came here to solicit customers. I took a swig from the glass. Or so I've been told. A rough life those girls live. Josiah scratched at his bald head. Even rougher for the men who love them. Do you remember her? Lots of whores come here. Most I don't know by name. I took a deep breath. I hated this questioning business. She came in with a woman named Cora Andrews? His brow shut up. Cora? They were friends. Well, I'd never forget that name. Trouble in skirts. Desire huffed. Comes in every night, often with a dark-haired woman. I looked up from my drink. Brown eyes? A slender body? Willowy. He cupped his hands in front of his chest, saying, and a fine set to match. I shuddered at the thought of another admiring my honour body. But I simply nodded. That's her. Desire tapped a meaty finger against his chin, as if raking over his memories. Uh, she and Cora came in here last night. I sat up a little straighter. They did? Aye. Maybe I had a nose for this questioning business after all. Did you see her leave with anyone? I asked. Aye, he comes here every night. He lowered his voice, leaning in a little. His name's Samuel. Either the whiskey was hitting me, or I recognised that name. I couldn't place it, but I'd heard it before, somewhere recently. What's he look like? I asked. He's a sticker, man. Josiah took his cloth and rubbed at the counter, his brows furrowed like a bull's. Always drunk. Yellow air. Always looks like he's never washed it. Often taken home by his brother, Ezra. As if someone had snapped their fingers, I remembered. I'd passed him and Ezra this morning. Bloody hell. I swallowed the rest of the whiskey and slammed the glass onto the counter. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Josiah. I swung a leg around to stand, but Josiah's hand dashed out, "'grabbing me by my collar. "'Don't tell anyone I gave ye his name.' "'He crooked his wrist a little, his knife glinting. "'Or else I'll come knocking on your door, "'and I'll cut your bollocks off. "'Quite unnecessary. "'How'd you like to see him served up on a silver platter?' "'I swear, I won't tell anyone.' "'Aye, you won't.' "'Josiah let go with a laugh, "'nearly causing me to fall off the stool. (laughs) "'I can see it. "'You're shaking like a shitting dog. "'Thank you for the whisky.' I stood up, brushing out the wrinkles from my coat. You'll see me again tonight. I left the bleeding lion, Josiah's cackles trailing behind me like a ghost. I laid on a cot in the blue dragon with a pipe dangling from my hand, an oil lamp flickering beside me. That tiny flame illuminated a world of shadows dancing on the walls while their solid doubles reclined in their opiate-induced stupors. I drifted into sleep. And I saw her. I saw her in the smoke, those wisps webbing together to create her face. Grey and pale, like her ghost, like her corpse. God, how I'd adored her. Those sly gazes, those mischievous smiles, those pretty laughs. I missed her, pure and simple. I wanted her to return to me, but the dead didn't rise at the tears of the living. And she'd laid with other men. Did I even want her back? I woke up in the middle of the opium den, the other cot occupied by men like me, miserable, sad, and filled with self-loathing. Until I remembered where I needed to be. The bleeding lion. I stumbled to my feet and emptied my cot for the next lost soul to claim in that shady purgatory. I stepped out onto the street, nighttime draped over the city. Ah, oh, how I gripped my head, a pounding in my skull. Bloody, bloody, bloody how I pulled out my pocket watch. I checked the time. Eight o'clock. I'll oh, find him, Honorer, I mumbled to no one in particular as I tripped over cobblestones on my way to Covent Garden. For you, my love, my sweet, whoring love. That rage climbed up the ladder of my ribs, going higher and higher with each step I took. Had Honora thought of me? Had she remembered the feel of my fingers on her skin while another stroked her most intimate parts? Had she regretted taking coins for a few sweaty moments with men who didn't love her? Bloody, bloody, bloody hell! I stormed into the tavern, searching the faces of those within. Glasses clattering onto the counter as customers clamoured for more spirits. A dozen drunken voices melded together as they sang an Irish air. Other men sat in silence as they drank away their sorrows. And through the din, pretty doxies drifted from table to table, looking for company for the evening. Honora had once been such a woman, and if Coral was to be believed, she'd been working this room long after she'd promised me she'd given it all up. I circled the tavern looking for one particular face one with messy blonde hair, a stick of a man. Close by, I heard a familiar voice and a familiar hiccup. Come now, Ezra, I've only had a few swigs of ale. Another one won't harm me. It'll harm your dignity. But I haven't done anything. Not yet. A sigh. This morning you cursed out a stranger on the street calling him a devil. I stalked those voices to a corner, close to the bar, but not in Josiah's immediate view, as anger pounded in my every step. I saw him, Samuel, with his brother, Ezra, Dusky and Tan. They looked nothing alike, like the opposite sides of the moon, as they sat at a round table on splintery chairs. I reminded me of a nightmare. Samuel's throat worked on a hard swallow. Or, at least, I thought it was a nightmare when I sobered this morning. Of what? Ezra leaned back, snarling like a wounded dog. I can't say. I don't even know if it was real or imagined. You'll be deemed insane if you continue on this path. Ezra snatched Samuel's ale before his lips touched the glass. He poured the copper liquid onto the floor. Samuel stared at the stain, as if he might lick it off the floor. Why'd you do that? You're poisoning your mind with it, spinning tales and inventing stories. Ezra pushed out his chair, anger twinkling in his brown eyes. Don't expect me to drag you home to your wife tonight, or any other night for that matter. Ezra stormed out of the bleeding line, led on by his disgust, leaving Samuel to contemplate the stain. Samuel hung his head, running his slender fingers through his greasy hair. His sides shook as if a sob racked through him. Pitiful was all I could think as I watched him in the tavern's din. Samuel lifted his head after a long minute, his cheeks puffy and red, his eyes wet and bloodshot. But then his gaze fell on me. Devil. He mouthed it like a prayer. Devil. Again he said it. He rose from his chair, his movements slow, beleaguered by drink as he forced his way into the crush. I followed him through the men drinking and singing, women carousing and cavorting. I caught up to Samuel in the doorway. I grabbed him by the collar and slammed him up against the wooden frame, a gasp leaving him. You, Samuel whispered. He trembled as if he couldn't hold in a piss. I wanted to end his life right in that doorway. Murderer, I hissed. But Samuel didn't seem to hear me. You're not a dream. He reached out to touch my face, his fingertips light, then retreating as if he'd touched burning coal. You're... Real? What do you mean? Of course I am. My God. What did you do to her? To? The girl from last night? The one I left here with? I rammed my forearm into his throat, his head hitting the frame. Ow! Who? I growled, my spittle running down on him. Helen! His face burned red, sweat dripping from his brow. Or was it Henrietta? Honourer, I gritted between clenched teeth. Yeah, yeah, that's her. His throat worked as he swallowed. But if you're real, then that means that... That means those screams... They happened. Screams? In that moment, a cry cracked through the night. Not from a woman, not my honourer lying in some morgue, waiting for her burial, but from Samuel. It crashed into me, and in seconds hands were all over me. Help! Help! Samuel cried. Several men turned towards the doorway, taking in the scene. Two men rushed at me, tearing me away from Samuel. He slid down the doorframe as if his bones had been yanked from his legs. He stared up at me, his breathing quick, deep. You came upon us, Samuel said, by Drury Lane Theatre!'' Clamouring came from behind the bar. You grabbed her by the wrist, stopping her. He continued, shaking his head. Oh, I was so deep into my cups, I, I thought it was a dream when I sobered this morning. Josiah cut through the crowd, quicker than lightning, knife in hand. I'll have no fighting here, not on my doorstep. I left her with you, Samuel said. Josiah stepped between us, his knife point pressing against my heart. But I looked past him, not seeing his threat. I saw only Samuel, and what I wished to do to him. Rip out his spine, I thought. Gut him like a fish. But not here. Not in front of all these people. You made her scream. Samuel cupped his ears. Oh, I'm living in a nightmare. Samuel started to cry softly, as he rocked himself back and forth. Liar I spat. I remember none of this. Desire's scowl deepened. You really want me to cut off your bollocks, don't ye? Making trouble in me bar in front of me customers. "'Cut it off. Serve it to everyone here for all I care.' "'Now there's your sass!' he lifted the blade, placing it under my chin. "'I don't know what he's blabbering on about, but it matters little to me.' He lowered his hand, tucking his knife back into his sleeve. "'But you're not welcome here. Ever again!' Josiah snapped his fingers. His tavern cronies released me from their stronghold. I growled at him, but kept my glower on Samuel. Every nerve-ending thrummed with a desire to lunge at him, to split his skull open. But not here. Josiah knelt down beside Samuel, placing a hand on his shoulder. I'll send for Ezra. He'll take you home once he hears about this muddle. Thank you, Samuel murmured. Thank you. Tears slipped down his cheeks, as if he could grieve. He was a murderer. He hadn't a heart to wring out tears. And as for ye... Josiah looked up at me, his scarred forehead twitching. You need to be taught a lesson. He snapped his fingers again. I hadn't time to ask what he meant as a fist sailed towards me, smacking straight into my nose, sending me backwards. I stumbled, falling onto slick, muddy cobblestones. And then my world went black. Black as a raven's wing. Wake up, sweetin." Something slithered along my thigh brushing against my groin. I stirred to life in more ways than one. A single thought reverberated through my darkened mind. "Honora, come to make love. Ah! Her hand rubbed softly, her giggle filling my ears. A soft sigh escaped my lips as I blinked slowly. A shadow bent over me with all the curves of a woman. Honora, A curl slipped from her coiffure. Tickling my nose. My love. I reached up to tuck the strand behind her ear. But she stopped me. Grabbing my wrist. It's Cora. I snapped her attention. Get your filthy paws off of me. I shoved her aside. Jolting away from my memories. That's what you thank me. She huffed. I kept those men from flooding the street with your blood. I'll never thank a whore. Honor was one. I shot Cora a glare. And in return... She smiled. Come now, sweetin, she rose upon to her knees, thrusting her bosom into my face. You seemed to enjoy my pause only a minute earlier. I want nothing to do with you. Your friend says otherwise. Her gaze travelled down to my still hard erection. She licked her lips, her eyes alight with meaning. I covered myself up with my coat. I wanted honourer, not you. Oh, Cora gave me a wink. Why don't we go somewhere more private? I'll show you where she lived. Maybe it'll ease your grief. My curiosity sprang at that. Honour had told me she lived alone somewhere in the East End, but this, too, had been a lie. Had there been any truth between us? Fine. Cora took my hand, stood, and hoisted me to my feet. She held on a little longer than I expected, squeezing my fingers before letting go. Follow me, then. A breeze ran its fingers through my hair as Cora started down the street. I watched her hips sway as she disappeared into London's fog, so thick a knife could slice through it. Above, the sign for the bleeding line clacked in an uneven rhythm. I'll lose you if you don't start to put one foot in front of the other. Her steps echoed in the distance, light and slow, much like her languorous studies. Coming. I slipped into the fog after her, hurrying to catch up when I caught a whiff of lavender. It started out weak, strained, but grew stronger with each step down Catherine Street. It was as if I was strolling in an English garden, rather than down one of the seediest parts of the West End. ''Do you smell that?'' I called. ''What an old shit!'' Cora was closer now, a few feet away. ''Lavender!'' I inhaled, sharply, as if I filled my lungs with opium fumes. ''How far is your home?'' ''Down a few streets and through an alleyway?'' Coronel walked beside me, her hand finding mine in the foggy darkness. So I don't lose you. Life dimmed the further we walked from Covent Garden and into London's maze. Fewer doxies called from their corners. Fewer passers-by bumped elbows with us. Fewer carriages rolled by. Candles burned low in a few windows, guiding lights in the night. But those, too, became sparse. Soon, we stopped at a crumbling brick building, Shingles lay scattered on the ground, glittering in the moonlight, and grime filled the windows from years in neglect. Cora made a grand sweep of her hand, as if she were showing me Buckingham Palace. Here we are! She strode up the steps, kicking aside a stray orange tabby lounging in the doorway. I followed her into a small enclosure. It wasn't quite an entrance hall, too small for quick hellos and embraces, but large enough for the building's tenants to hurry inside and rest a minute before heading to their lodgings but Cora didn't rest. She was a woman of movement, always shifting or swaying or stroking. She climbed right up those steps with me trailing behind her. She stopped at the door with faded maroon paint. It was rusting on its hinges and the doorknob looked about ready to fall off, but it was better taken care of than its neighbours or scratched, nicked and scarred. Our home! Cora slipped inside and I followed. I closed the door behind me with a soft thud. In what looked like a parlour, Cora busied herself with pulling back shabby curtains, threadbare but pretty with a teal paisley print, and lighting candles nearly burnt down to the wick from long nights, possibly spent with clients in these rooms. Candlelight flickered over the furniture crammed into the tiny sitting room. Underneath the window, a chaise longue was shoved into a corner, moonlight slashing over the crimson upholstery. Three oak chairs were huddled together, resting on an emerald green rug, shaggy and worn on the edges. On either side of the room, opposite each other, were doors. Cora stood beside one. In here! She gave the door a shove. It swung open on a creak, moonlight teeming out in a tide, as if a dam had been broken. Come along, Cora said, and then she disappeared inside. I took a step, when lavender tickled my nostrils again. I glanced about the sitting room, half expecting to find Honora sitting on the chaise longue, her fingers toying with a strand of raven hair, impish grin teasing at the corners of her lips. But she wasn't there. My heart fell as I joined Cora in the bedroom. It was smaller than the parlour, no bigger than a cupboard, with only a narrow bed, side table and a clothing chest to fill its space. On the side table was a vase brimming with lavenders and daisies, wilting, the only beautiful thing in the lodgings. I walked over to the table. Tears burning my eyes. This was how she lived. I sniffed the flowers and thought of my honor, her sweet, gentle smell, her soft flesh. I wanted nothing more than to hold her hand, rather than the vase's smooth, cold glass. Cora's skirts rustled in a corner. Was he her killer? Who I asked, not turning, the man you nearly came to blows with. No. I wiped away my tears with the heel of my hand. It turned out not to be him. We must keep searching. Devil. Devil. I left her with you. That night was filled with darkness. Hours absorbed by a drunken, opium-fueled stupor. I couldn't remember anything between visiting the blue dragon and waking with a pounding in my head. Where had those hours gone? What happened? I can't. I said, I'm done. I want to grieve for her. Alone. You can't quit now, not after one day. Cora took a step closer, crowding me into the corner by Honora's bedside. Look at the progress you've made. You found out who left the bleeding lion with her. Now find the next crumb on the trail. Talk to that man again. Screams, I thought. Samuel had heard screams. And I'd been there. I said I'm done. You owe it to Honora. "'Cora laid a hand on my shoulder. "'She was fond of you, but endured too many of your antics.' "'I whipped around. "'I was never anything but charming to her. "'Opium-fueled blackouts and drunken afternoons are far from charming. "'Then why was she so fond of me?' "'You took care of her. "'Gave her pretty things,' Cora winked. "'She fooled herself into thinking you, the son of a Viscount, would marry her. "'But women like us don't go to the altar.' We get used and used until we're old and grey and we're left in the streets to starve. Did she ever love me? She loved how you could take care of her. Cora placed a delicate hand on my stomach, massaging little circles lower, lower, until her hand was on the inside of my thigh. She loved your size, your girth, different compared to all the other men who jabbers with their little pricks. Don't touch me. Why not? She brushed my groin, teasing an erection. You seem to like me. Another wink. I grabbed her wrist. I'm tired of your games. We're wonderful partners. You make trouble in taverns and hellholes, and I ward it off. Cora's gaze wandered downwards, her lips curving into a smile, as if she was an artist admiring a painting she'd completed through her hard work. While we look for honour killer, we can come to an arrangement. I don't want you. Lavender teased my nose again. Craved her like opium, like a sedative. I'd take her ghost, her soul, if it meant I could keep some trace of her with me always. Why not? Corr asked. I'm not a fool. I know you won't marry me. She stood up on her tiptoes, her lips grazing mine. My hands wandered up her back, pulling her closer, tasting her, enjoying her flesh. But something was missing. If you treat me like you did honour her, I won't take other men into my bed like she did. I broke away from her. I don't like whores. I grabbed Cora by the wrist and spun her around pinning her against my chest. Least of all you. Your body says otherwise. She ground her derriere into me. I groaned. I remembered Honor attempting me with her body. Her playful smile as I caught her about the waist. Her pushing my hands away and scolding me. No, I must be off she'd say. It's late. I need to be home before dark. But she didn't go home. Within hours of our lovemaking, she was at the bleeding Lion scouting out customers. Other men groping her, caressing her, breathing on her. I wrapped my hand around Cora's throat, eager to squeeze sense into her. My mind says you're wicked. Oh, you like it a little rough? Cora chuckled. I've had customers before with the same proclivities. You won't scare me away. She said that as if it was a promise. I dug my nails into her throat. You're the last woman I'd take to my bed. Just a little pressure. Just a little harder. Cora's hand flew up to her neck. She's dead. You might as well take loyalty where you can find it. Honora had outwitted me. She'd said she'd give up her life of prostitution. She fed me lie after lie, promising she only sold flowers to earn a wage. How did I not see through her? I wouldn't allow another to abuse me again. I won't have you. My fingers clamped down. I won't be made to look like an ass again. Harder. Harder. Cora clawed at my hand. My grip tightened. You're joking me. Her legs flailed as if she was a dancer. She targeted my groin, but I held her tighter. Tighter. I snarled, gnashing my teeth as I wrung the last of her life from her body. Taking it. Taking it. Until she flailed no more. Thomas? My name came softly from the sitting room. I peered through the doorway, choking on the odor of lavender. Honora sat on the chaise longue, her soulless eyes locked with mine. Honora? I asked, overwhelmed with happiness. Honora, my love, you've come back to me. She lifted her curtain of ebony hair. Revealing the bruises on her neck, you don't remember what happened to you? I began to tremble. Tell me, opium, alcohol, and your anger. That's not an answer. Honora pointed. I glanced down, finding Cora limp. Her body rested against mine like a giant doll, strands of hair loose, her lips slightly parted, and her eyes filled with permanent fear. She'd go into eternity looking like this. You did to me what you did to her. Honora flashed a smile filled with mischief. You found my murderer, Thomas. It's you. It can't be. My gaze swung to her. A silhouette glimmered as she faded before my eyes, her spirit disintegrating into peace. Goodbye. She was gone. The lavender was gone. It was only me and a corpse, alone in her bedroom. I sank to my knees, Cora's head falling into my lap. I wept for my honor. I wanted to take back my anger, but I couldn't. I had to live with its permanence. My fingertips brushed over the rouge on Cora's cheek, the paint on her lips. I lifted my hand, finding ruby-red smudges, much like blood. Hall. Oh. I staggered to my feet, crushing the sprigs of lavender scattered on the floor, bedding for my honour, and now Cora. She'd rest there until I found a way to dispose of her, perhaps by dumping her into the Thames, or leaving her under the portico at the Drury Lane Theatre. Desire ran through my fingertips as I stared down at Cora's body. I wanted another whore. I wanted another honorer, and I'd take it with a violent passion if it meant I'd see her ghost again. Thomas? Another voice, one still glinting and fresh in my mind. I looked up and saw her standing in the moonlight, its rays slashing through her voluptuous body. Then why did you go on and murder me, Thomas? Cora asked. I looked through her, towards the shed and found it empty. I no longer smelled lavender, or sensed honour in my heart. Where is she? At peace. Cora gave a little wink. You're mine now.
2: That was Cat Devitt's The Scent of Lavender, as read by Matt Dovey. Matt Dovey is very tall and very English, and most likely drinking a cup of tea right now. He has a scar on his arm that he can't remember getting, but a terrible darkness floods his mind when he considers it. He now lives in a quiet market town in rural England with his wife and three children. And despite being a writer, he still hasn't found the right words to properly express the delight and joy he finds in this wonderful arrangement. His surname rhymes with Dopey, but any other similarities to the dwarf are purely coincidental. He is the Golden Pen winner for Writers of the Future, Volume 32, 2016, and has fiction out and forthcoming all over the place. You can keep up with him at MattDovey.com, or follow along on Facebook and Twitter, both as at MattDoveyWriter. Thank you, Matt. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now, Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters through Patreon and PayPal. If you're not already a supporter, head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify for a look at all the awesome perks, from ad-free episodes and bonus content, to shout-outs and swag. Every dollar helps, and we appreciate it so much. If you're looking for another way to help, why not drop a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Ratings and reviews are an easy way to show your appreciation and help us spread the darkness. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. Join us again next week as we blacken your soul with more Tales to Terrify.